This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, I'm Hannah. And I'm Sarah. And this is Big Small Talk. This is the podcast where we try and cover the entirety of the news cycle, from the serious to the frivolous, all in one place. Because loving pop culture doesn't mean you don't understand politics. Today we're going to talk about increased pay in parental leave, Britney Spears' new memoir, a First Nation child dying after being found unresponsive in a WA prison, SAG after Halloween costume restrictions, and an update on Israel-Palestine. But first we would like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording today the Gadigal people, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. But before we get into the news cycle, do you have a personal headline of the week? I do. I No, I was telling you, this is so lame. Before before we started recording, I was like, Sarah, I'm trying to build dating momentum. Like, I've been I've been so single, like, in a really vicious way for, like, over a year where I haven't been dating anyone at all. And now I'm like, I want to get some momentum. And I was just saying to you, I've been trying to talk to a few people on an app. Why is it that secure men have no chat game? The nice ones are boring. I, but I, I want to, I want to be like excited by it. But I'm like, can you please ask a fucking question that's interesting? Or just like give me some back and forth that I, I can work with. But I'm convinced I'm going to go on at least one date before the end of the year. That's my goal. That's a very achievable goal. I, I think you should actually set a harder goal. I than know, that. but considering I haven't been on a first date since like at least over fifteen or sixteen months, that seems like a goal that I will attain. But to do two might be a bit much. I think if you want to actually build momentum, first oh, date. Don't say it. I think the fa- well, that's why you have to go on a date because then that leads into the next date. Like everything breeds into the next. I think. I know you're right. I hate it, but I know you're right. We'll, it's going to be fine. I'm excited for you. I'm excited to hear about this. Oh, I, it won't be on the podcast. <laughs> it will be actually oh okay yeah true it will be I can't keep any I've never kept a single thought to myself ever so that's exciting you've actually built a career out of not keeping a single thought I know <laughs> as have I I didn't know I could do that okay what is your personal headline of the week I think it's actually a shared personal headline this week it's for both of us but I think the most exciting thing that's happened this week for me was seeing all these new listeners we've had in the last week it's blown my mind we're in charts, like shameless as a shout out. That was so surreal. I just so want to say nice. thank you to everyone who's new and listening. This is so exciting for us. Thank you to shameless. It really does mean a lot to come from such big women the in big this dogs. industry. It is the big dogs. The big dogs. It yeah. is the big And I, I made a joke. I received more messages at 6 30 a.m. <laughs> that morning than I did when I think my book came out three weeks before. I was like, shameless! And I was like, shameless fans go hard. So thank they you do. so much. They do. So that's my headline of the week. That was. Insane. It's a, it was a pretty big moment for us. Okay, should we get into the stories? Let's get into it. A First Nations teenager has died one week after being found unresponsive in a West Australian prison. At, just at the top of the story, I want to include a content warning. This is going to be triggering for many listeners because it contains the name of a deceased First Nations person and it also discusses suicide. 
So on Thursday, the 12th of October, 16-year-old Cleveland Dodd was found unresponsive inside Unit 18, which is the youth unit inside Casuarina Prison. It's a men's maximum security facility in Western Australia. Now, it's being reported that it was an incident of self-harm and that staff performed emergency first aid until paramedics arrived and took the young Aboriginal boy to hospital. He died last Thursday, a week later, in a Perth hospital. I believe they turned off his life support. So my understanding is that he was found unresponsive in his cell in the early hours of that Thursday morning. They were able to revive him at the prison. He was then transported to hospital. He went into a coma and they turned off his life support. All of his family flew in. It's just like I... I'm like I feel like tears coming up. It's it's so fucking awful. Yeah. Like I I cannot even express. There is no words for there, it. There is and there's there's not and it's it's really important to say here at the top, he was not convicted of a crime. He had not been convicted. He was being held on remand inside a youth detention facility that was inside a men's maximum security facility. And we're going to get into that a bit more, but I I really think it's important to say he had not been convicted of any crime. And you're going to see that in headlines, it doesn't say death in custody because he didn't die in custody. And my understanding is I've seen many tweets, but I haven't been able to verify this through a news source, but I've seen it across many different um, profiles and social media sources saying that he was actually released on remand while he was in a coma. And so it doesn't count as a First Nations death in custody, which is just a whole whole other story. Yeah. So... Unit 18, this facility, this youth facility inside of Casuarina Men's Prison, was only set up last year. And the purpose of it was for essentially to be a temporary place to house a what they describe as a difficult cohort of young offenders that were being held at Banksia Hill Detention Centre following riots last year. So over the time since this facility, this youth unit has been created at the men's prison, there have been 20 attempted suicides and 350 incidents of self-harm. Now, the WA Premier, Roger Cook, described the facility as a necessary evil, (laughs) which I I just don't think you can get more out of hand than that. There's so much we could dig through there, but it's, it's, it's complex. And he has since said Cleveland Dodd was let down by the government, but refused to rule out changes in the leadership of the Department of Justice. So it's looking like there will be removals and new hires and employment changes to that department following this death. But quite frankly, yeah, quite frankly, are we, we're seriously looking at the bare minimum right now. Yeah. I also think it's important to look at this sort of, in its very brief history, it's only been around for just over a year, this unit, this facility... The Children's Court has heard descriptions of it as barbaric and like hell on earth. One of the presidents of the Children's Court described Unit 18 as one of prolonged systemic dehumanisation and deprivation with no rehabilitative element or effect. So when they're being held on remand, does that mean they're waiting for a conviction? Yeah. And this is meant to rehabilitate them? Is they're, there any chance of them... They're waiting for trial or sentencing. Like, you know, like if, I mean, if they've been convicted, then they're waiting for sentencing. But he wasn't convicted. He was waiting for trial or he was waiting for dates to be set out for court appearances. Now, I think the, the focus here is that the purpose of it is to hold the youth offenders they deem to be problematic mm. or like high risk or, you know, following these rights, anyone they think is going to, you know, engage in violent actions or... You know, it it shouldn't be in that general youth facility. But I think what is part of the issue is that they're arresting more young offenders and holding them on remand. They don't have the capacity. So it's almost as much as a capacity issue. So 
with this young man, they've put someone who has not been convicted of a crime in this like maximum security high level facility. And that clearly has no focus on rehabilitation or on helping in any constructive way. Yeah. But on dehumanising. Absolutely. You know, this particular boy, it's, this is not the boy we're talking about here, but when we're talking about the children's court's response to this facility, um, in the lead up to this other sentencing of another child, the boy had spent 38 out of 40 days locked in his cell for 22 hours or more. It, it's literally solitary confinement. That is solitary confinement. Yeah. Children, like when we're talking about the rehabilitation of children, the evidence-based approach does not say that anything like this is going to work in terms of reducing reoffending or what it's referred to as recidivism, right? So when we're forcing children to engage in is what at a baseline is an antisocial behaviour, that's never going to have a rehabilitative effect, no. right? It's only going to increase violent offending in the community. So the Supreme Court has ruled twice on how horrific conditions in youth detention have been and the harm that it is imposing on children that just continue to viciously engage in this cycle and it's causing immeasurable damage to them. And it, it, I think what's important to say is the children that are committing violent crimes in their communities have highly complex psychological needs. Prison is not the answer to highly complex trauma and psychological needs. And I think it's really I just I just want to say to people listening, in Australia, the criminal age of responsibility is 10 in most states. I think they're trying to raise it to 12 in some, but right now 10 is the age that children can be strip searched, arrested, charged with crime, right? Think about your 10-year-old self. In this case, think about your 16-year-old self. Do you think that being held in solitary confinement for 22 hours a day in a maximum security facility would have the effect of improving your ability to function in society? Like, truly, that's the question. No. But we know all of this. And these royal commission that we had into this found all of this out. We know this. We know it. And that's the thing. We know it over and over again. And what's important to talk about is the fact that Governments are responding to media that wants the tough on crime approach. Mm. And I often wonder if it's the community that wants the tough on crime approach or whether it's the Murdoch media. That's really my question because Labor governments that claim to be progressive, I say it once, I'll say it again, are continuing to have this tough on crime approach where they're keeping kids in prison when they're not even being charged or convicted with a crime yet. They're being held on remand. And the Queensland government has been guilty of it the last few months. I mean, it's been an ongoing issue for years. Mm. WA is similar. There's no end in sight to this and every time this happens, every time a child is placed in custody and they continue in this vicious cycle, this is exactly the need for something like a voice to parliament to advise on issues like this and we have failed as a nation. And I'm really heartbroken by this and I think that this won't get the attention that it deserves and we know that children that are placed in these youth detention facilities, more than half will re-offend in the 12 months that follow their release. So we know it isn't working. I feel so deeply for the family who have, you know, lost their child and I am ashamed that this country will be unable to engage in a conversation about how we fix things. Justin Timberlake is joining the ranks of Jake Gyllenhaal and John Mayer in the worst ex-boyfriend ever Hall of Fame after Britney Spears finally drops her long-awaited memoir, Woman and Me. You cannot go a day without a Taylor Swift reference. No. (laughs) I can't. And... Uh, that was the best way I could describe it. Like he, his PR must just be terrified right now. I get, I'll get into it. But essentially, Britney Spears has finally released her memoir, 
like I think it comes out today. Oh. But before this, in the run up, there's like little excerpts have been released yeah. and they've been super juicy, which makes me think, what is in the rest of this book? Firstly, just to recap, I think we've all been waiting for this book since the Free Britney movement. And if you don't know what that was, I'm sure you do. But if you want a refresher, the Free Britney movement gained momentum on social media, supported by fans, then other celebrities got involved. And it was then supported by like multiple documentaries released in 2021. It was huge. It was massive. Yeah. So you may also remember that Britney gave a 23-minute speech in a Los Angeles court back in 2021, pleading that she wants her life back and then stating that she's been traumatized um, through a few horrific events of her conservatorship. And that conservatorship was then terminated in November of 2021. In this book, I'm going to just run you through the revelations so far. First off, the Justin Timberlake bombshells. So Britney detailed her relationship with Justin Timberlake, who she dated between 1999 and 2002, stating that she made the decision to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. Because he persuaded her. Um, Because he wasn't ready for a family. Which is, you know, not being ready for a family, fair enough. What is worse about this is then it's then revealed that after that he broke up with her over a text message. And then it's revealed that he had cheated on her with another celebrity. Which she chose to ignore at the time because she was being painted as this like villain in the media. And that she was the unfaithful partner. And then, obviously, Justin Timberlake's hit 2002 song, Cry Me a River, came out. But I just think this is awful. Like, imagine being that young, being cheated on, falling pregnant, having to be persuaded out of keeping the baby, and then being sent back out on tour, and then being broken up with via text, and then have him write a song about you that paints you out to be the cheater, and then imply that you're the one who left. And she's so young when all of this happened as well. And then what makes it even worse is that after that, he literally went on a full press tour after the breakup and, like, continued this narrative, like, continued villainizing her and also, like, bragging about her. Interesting. Did you remember when the Free Britney movement happened when all those, like, old interviews resurfaced? Yes. And it was like, did you take Britney's virginity? And he's like, yeah, I did it, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's so really bad. bad. So she also claims that, like, obviously there's this other celebrity that he cheated on her with. A lot of people are speculating who that would be right now, but she says, I'm going to take the high road and I'm not going to name that celebrity. It's always interesting I to w- see <laughs> what point we take the high road, though. I know. There's a lot of... And I'm, I mean, I'm not here to, to censor her in any way, but it's, like, it's interesting what is chosen to be shared and not and where that distinction is made. Like, I, I actually support it because I guess it's just protecting the woman yeah I also think it's interesting I think when this memoir was first spoken about it was meant to be like a certain number of pages and it's come out being a lot less than that Mm. which people are speculating it's it's because people's like yeah stuff has had to be cut or pulled back on. But it's likely that, you know, they've run it past a lawyer and thought there's all these defamatory points here yeah. that unless you can back it. Like, that could be one of the... I, I don't think that make could claims, be one of it. But... So that's why I'm curious what didn't make this yeah. book as well. It also, what people are picking up online is that this sheds like a whole new light, potentially, and again, this is just speculation, as to Britney's hit song, Every Time, which she kind of released as, and very much known as like her return serve to Cry Me A River. Mm-hmm. And in the song, she sings, Every night I see you in my dreams, I see your face, it's haunting me, I guess I need you, baby. Along with a music video that includes a mother giving birth and her, like, being in the hospital. And then it, like, shows other scenes of this, like, toxic relationship. So now everyone's looking at this like, wait, this isn't about Justin, this is about the abortion. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, that's really awful. But no one actually knows if that's true. Everyone's just like reevaluating everything. Yeah, I've in seen the, this across, in the wake of I've this. I've seen this across TikTok in the last few days, and I, I find it really toxic the way that we impose these views on people, even though, yes, that logically makes sense with new perspective and fresh eyes, yeah. yes, but it's also like we're also sort of digging up trauma of someone that we don't know, we'll never understand truly what's going on behind the scenes. And mm. it's really, I just, as much as I'm the one who's engaging with this commentary and these perspectives online, I'm also trying to look at it and go, we don't know her. She's also given us so much in this book that I think gives us enough to work with at the moment. Yeah. We don't need to go digging and speculating but for more. I also find that Britney Spears has a Taylor Swift-like effect on the way that her fans have that cult-like status where they really feel connected to her in ways yeah. that I can't even explain the parasocial relationship and how much of that sort of that grip and that chokehold it has on these fans. And it almost feels dangerous to me at points because they truly feel like they know all of these personal details about her life. Not to pun, but it is toxic. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I also think because of everything that's happened with Britney especially, there's a protectiveness yes. with her that everyone's... Absolutely. Yeah. And there's that there is almost maternal paternal instinct there, but that's also not fair because she is a grown woman with agency. Yeah. So that's really well, now. Yeah. But... Oh, that's what. I, but it, oh, no. So Sarah. Oh my God. Yes. Absolutely. Well, TMZ released an article that quotes one of the songwriters off that song, and the songwriter claims that that doesn't have anything to do with it. So who am I to question TMZ? I would never. I would and, never. And why would we? I mean, <laughs> give him a Pulitzer. <laughs> um, there's also revelations about her conservatorship, so through which her father controlled her finances, pretty much controlled her life from 2008 to 2021. She, like, quote says she felt like a child robot and it deprived her of any agency. And he actually said to her at one point, I'm Britney Spears now. Oh, that's sickening. That's Isn't that, in- that gave me like shivers yeah, when I heard disturbing. that. She also said that she went along with the conservatorship for so long because she was really afraid to lose her sons mm-hmm. and she was subject to like really invasive measures that her father took that included like giving blood every week, which I, I, I don't even know with that. She didn't have access to a car either. She wasn't even allowed to have a bath in private oh and wasn't allowed control of her own phone. And that the reason she shaved her head in 2007 was because she felt like that was her way of pushing back on being, quote, eyeballed um, from the public scrutiny that she's had since a teenager. It was like a rebel but thing. But that, that seems... I think we all assumed it was that at the time, but, but like also it was a, a breakdown. Yeah. Yes. People position it as like a mental health crisis rather than a, an act of rebellion and an act of autonomy in a sense to reclaim something. Yeah. That's really interesting to me. Another thing is that it's also being reported by TMZ that Justin's family is now in chaos and this memoir is opening old wounds and it's pretty much from, it seems like from their PR perspective, they're pushing the let's look forward, let's not dig up old wounds, let's not look backwards. Um, well, you would be pushing that if you were him. Yeah, but mm. you know what I think, and I get, you know, you are digging up stuff from 20 years ago, but if I was his PR and I'm no PR agent, I would have some sort of empathy in the statements. I think that's what's missing. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that, you know, the positioning could have been, it could have been let's look ahead, but it needed to have more acknowledgement and responsibility taking. But I think that then again, that kind of acknowledges fault. Like mm. they probably don't want to admit yeah. to this because then it sort of just vindicates 
that he did engage in those behaviours. But then the other question is, like, should should we be judging him by 20 years later by the standards and the, the decisions he made 20 years ago when he was how old? Yeah, so. and the industry standards that have changed yeah. since then as and well. I'm not here to make a moral judgment on his character. Obviously, that behaviour it was is horrible and it's, you know, coercive control in, in many ways to be sort of making those, trying to influence someone over the decisions over their own body. But I understand they're in a relationship and it affects both of them. It's a hard one. Yeah. I don't know what happened behind closed doors. But I think that from this perspective, perspective with the the benefit of hindsight and in retrospect it could have had a little bit more compassion. I think so as well. Also, it has been announced that this audiobook for the memoir will be predominantly voiced by Oscar award winning actress Michelle Williams. It's like Heath Ledger's ex- Yes. Yes. Sorry, I do actually hate that I said that. I don't like to make cuz she's brilliant on her she own. She is brilliant Sorry on her for own. That. Wow, okay. Why? Well, Britney said in a statement, this book has been a labor of love and all the emotions that come with it. Reliving everything has been exciting, heart-wrenching and emotional, to say the least. For those reasons, I'll only be reading a small part of the audiobook. I'm so grateful to the amazing Michelle Williams for reading the rest of it. It's really fascinating to have the jewel. Mm. Choice. I don't. I don't understand that. I think it's just it's too much for her to do it all by no, herself, I and get, I understand that. I get that. That, but I get that they're seeing the value in her contributing any part of her voice to her own audiobook, and that's powerful. Mm. But it's interesting to make the choice to have the duality. I think. I'd be. I don't know what the split is. We don't. Oh, we don't know yet how much. That. Yeah. 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 So I think that will all come out today. So super excited to probably listen to it. To be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The federal government has tabled a bill to increase paid parental leave to 26 weeks by 2026. So this is the Albanese government taking action on their announcement from last October to gradually increase paid parental leave entitlements to give parents six months of paid leave by 2026. So just for a comparison there, parents were eligible for 18 weeks of paid parental leave and two weeks of secondary carer leave, both paid at the same rate as the minimum wage. Earlier this year, though, it increased to 20 weeks. So if this bill is passed, we'll see gradual incremental increases in the next few years. And basically, so in July of next year, it will increase to 22 weeks. The following July, it'll rise to 24 weeks. And then it will conclude this sort of these incremental changes in 2026 by being raised to 26 weeks total. And I read a stat this morning that 180,000 families access this payment annually. So it's affecting a lot of people in a very real way. And I just want to just go through some of the really important features of the changes that I think are worth talking about. So not all of the weeks can be used by one parent. And the legislation actually introduces four weeks of simultaneous leave to encourage partners to take leave at the same time to support the parent who has given birth. Isn't that insane? You would just think that makes sense. If you're fresh, it's like having surgery. Yeah. And then being like, okay, see ya, good luck with the baby. No, like, and, But so imagine, like, uh, again, I'm very far away from even considering that question myself, but I think that when you don't have kids and you're not thinking about kids, you don't really understand the mechanics of how this works. And yeah. when I was confronted with it's only two weeks at the same time, that just doesn't seem like anything. Like, that just does not seem appropriate when someone's just no. had, like, one of the most major... Like, I think that when you consider the, the effect on the body and the impact for the birthing parent, yeah. like, the impacts are huge and you do need to be supported. And those are the earliest weeks of your child's life. 
life. But I would say not just even physically, but emotionally. Absolutely. And both parents bonding with the baby. Yeah. Seems important. (laughs) It it does. It does. I mean, I just don't even think it's a question up for contest, right? And so I think it's also important to say that there aren't any rules as to how the rest of the leave should be taken. So the couple can decide ultimately themselves Mm -hmm. if they want to even split of the the rest of that leave or if one partner will take the majority of that leave. But the four weeks is guaranteed together, basically. And so essentially this choice has been made around the flexibility of how the leave is taken because Labor want to drive women's participation in the workforce and encourage more more balanced gender dynamics in who chooses to be the primary and secondary caregiver. Mm. And I think it's one of those things where when we're thinking about gender equality and, and who should go back to work and blah, 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 it really needs to be that, you know, for employers, I think it needs to be just as big of a risk that men will be the primary caregiver as as a woman. It, mm. And Because I, I think the assumption is that the woman will take the majority of the leave. I don't think we'll see, like, equity in this space until it's just as expected that men will take that leave and become a primary caregiver. And that we've got a long way to go until those are the expectations or, or the standards. Yeah. Um, but I think this is a move towards having that normalised. I would also say if you're a woman and you've taken the leave like as it stands now and you've taken that leave and it's not enough leave, which I think for a lot of people it doesn't feel like enough leave, you end up staying but then you risk losing your job or you risk taking even more extended time Mm. and that's where it becomes like that's where women are such a risk and all of that involved. Absolutely, and it also it's kind of dependent on what industry the partners work Mm. in because when you look at the cost of childcare in this country, it can be in excess of $40,000 a year. And so depending on what the earnings are, is that worthwhile for both parents to return to work? And until... Until it is incentivized that childcare is cheap enough that is it it makes like logical sense for both partners to return to the workforce. How can we encourage that workforce participation and that return to work in in a quick manner? Yeah. So that doesn't really make sense either. But it's also important to say that for single parents, you can access the full twenty six weeks, obviously. Mm. So that's not limited if we are partnered or single. And the task force, I, I want to note this because I think it's important to talk about the task force who recommended how much labour should increase the leave by said it should be fifty two weeks. Mm. Labour said that's on the table. Twenty six weeks and by twenty twenty six is all that they're offering for now. But one of of the other crucial points here that's really worth discussing is that there have been many calls for superannuation to be paid at this same rate for 26 weeks to close the gap in retirement savings between men and women. Because when women are taking the majority of parental leave um, and becoming the primary caregivers, they're missing out on superannuation that could affect their retirement capacity, basically. And, and when they can retire, how much they have to retire within that safety net. Mm. And that's a really important call that the Greens have been pushing for. Um, so, you know, that hasn't been implemented so far, but I think that that's one of the potential amendments or, or that we'll see to this bill. I would love that. Yeah, absolutely. You don't think about that. It's one of the super fund is something you just don't think about until it's almost too late. And then you're like, oh yeah, that exists. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's one of those things where as young people, we, you know, our parents are always like, you should be putting more into super, you should be thinking about it more. You just think it's out of pocket in the moment, Um, but it's not. It's setting you up for life, really, Mm. for the end of your life and and for for decades potentially. So it's really important part. And and we see that gap is is quite large. And there was actually a a women's economic like report that came out yesterday that just showed the inequality in superannuation and in the earnings over a lifetime. And it it was significant. So who would be eligible for the payments under this scheme? Yeah, so the government support under this scheme is dependent on your earnings. So there are two options under this income test. So either the payment is provided to both parents if their combined income is less than $350,000. However, if the combined income is in excess of that number, the majority of the leave can be provided to one parent if their income is less than one hundred and sixty-eight dollars 
Got it. So for a single parent to be eligible, their income must be less than that 168 grand figure. But aside from the income test, parents need to have worked 10 of the 13 months before the birth or adoption of the child. Um, There are exemptions to that test, though. So if there's an illness or other things that may make you – any other complications, that doesn't necessarily count, especially in the lead up to a a birth. Yeah. But really the question, I guess, now is whether the opposition will support this bill or who Labor will need help from to get it passed, essentially. The Hollywood strike continues on for actors with the sag After union now putting restrictions on celebrities' Halloween costumes. Oh, my God. I know. This is Bizarre. fascinating. This is, a, this is a really wacky story. It's wacky. Okay, so although we recently saw the Hollywood writers' strike end, which allowed shows like SNL to come back as writers were able to negotiate a fair deal with major networks and streamers, the sag After, which is mainly the actors, have not followed suit as quickly as we thought they would. Like, we thought when the writers made that deal, that would set a precedent and the actors would quickly follow. It has kind of had the opposite actual effect. In fact, they are only returning to negotiations today, I believe. After two weeks, they've had to call it quits. They just had to like stop conversations because the networks and the union were like, we are too far apart on Mm. issues right now. Like we need to just step away for a moment. Which is wild. It is. Yeah, just like not being able to have this productive conversation. It also comes as the sag after strike hits the 100-day mark. Oh, that's really – that's extensive. That is extensive. And it's tough because like they – they are fighting the good fight. Yeah. And the longer this drags on though – the more restless people are becoming. Like, people need to get back to work. There's mounting pressure now on the union's leadership to get this done. The resumption of talks also comes against this, like, ticking clock on the window of opportunity there is to shoot any new shows on this side of the year. Yeah. And in a statement, the... SAG after union put out, they said, it is clear that the strength and solidarity shown by our members has sent an unmistakable message to the CEOs. As we've repeatedly said, we are ready, willing and able to engage on a moment's notice to meet and work across the table to achieve a deal that is worthy of your sacrifice. In the coming days, there will be likely a lot of interest and potentially noise surrounding our talks. Do not believe anything you hear until it comes from us. They're getting a lot of pushback. Yeah. Like, they're feeling the heat. But that wasn't the end of the tension. Plenty of celebrities have bit back at the union after they released a statement urging members to refrain from dressing up as characters from struck films and shows this year. Particularly shouting out, like, don't go as Barbie, don't go as Wednesday Adams. They actually said Wednesday Adams, like, Jenna Ortega's, like, why am I involved? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's insane. And, like, Ryan Reynolds was, like, one of the first to speak out. And he posted on X, Twitter, and said, <laughs> I look forward to screaming scab at my eight-year-old all night. She's not in the union, but she needs to learn. <laughs> That's fucking funny. It was funny. Mandy Moore also wrote on her Instagram story. She said, is this a joke? Come on, sag after. This is what's important. We're asking you to negotiate in good faith on our behalf. So many folks across Every aspect of this industry have been sacrificing mightily for months. Get back to the table to get a fair deal so everyone can get back to work, please and thank you. The former SAG-AFTRA president also came out and criticised it, which just shows how much division is being... So she said, this is what you guys came up with? Literally no one cares what anyone wears for Halloween. I mean, do you really think this kind of infantile stuff is going to end the strike? We look like a joke. So... 
this has all come, obviously, they put out these guidelines and they did it all in an infographic, which I think annoyed people as well. Like it was a little like a bit of a Canada's take on yeah. Halloween. And they said, like, they pretty much encouraged people to instead of going as like Barbie and Wednesday Adams, to instead go as cartoons. And they were like, go as a spider, not Spider-Man. <laughs> go as a ghost. <laughs> go as a ghost. It's tough, but I think from the sag afters perspective, celebrities, especially in the States, get so much traction on their Halloween costumes. Like, it starts weeks out from Halloween. And what they go as, you know, if we see Hailey Bieber go as something this week, there's a chance that'll be what trends. And the point from sag After is, is if you're going as these characters, it's going to create a lot of hype around these films and around these characters. And that's pretty much free promotion then for these networks. And the whole point is they're not doing any promotion. So this to them is promotion if you go dressed as them, which I... I get. Yeah. No, but I think what's interesting about this is it's obviously got that connotation, like you never cross the picket line and the scab connotation. Of, like, there's really big in the union movement about, you know, it's stand in solidarity. You don't mm. ever sort of breach the union and, and the position of those on strike, right? But it's really interesting to see such relevant people to the cause criticising the union itself and their movements because I think that what that creates is a level of conflict within the group that means that then it's not as... What I want to say is like when you've got that infighting happening and that fraying at the side, it shows weakness. Yeah. And I actually don't agree with the Halloween costume thing, but I think you're right. It's less about what general people go as and more about celebrities not using this as an opportunity to sort of cross the picket line. Yeah. But now that it's weakened and so publicly weakened, it kind of just loses its grit altogether. And I and I feel bad because it's like if you've got, taken it this far and everyone's risked so much, why would you not go the full extreme? Mm. And I get that. But I'm also like it's been a tough year for everyone let them dress up as Barbie. Yeah. Who the fuck cares? But then is that the sort of mindset that Drew Barrymore had a few weeks ago? You know what I mean? True. Like, because I think the same thing. I'm with you, but I'm also like, am I then the problem? Because I, I can understand taking it the full, you know, to the full extent agreed. Mm. But I don't think there is a right answer here. But I think that the, the criticism coming from a former president of SAG Africa is like really telling. Yeah, that's that shocked me more than the celebrity comments. Oh, to yeah, because the celebrity comments could just be another Drew Barrymore. But I'm like, if so, you've got a, a sort of staunch unionist saying these sort of things, it really means that there's a chink in the armor, I think, and it's a bit concerning. I agree. Now for an update on what we know on day 17 of the Israel-Hamas war. Just once again, at the start of this story, I want to clarify this is an overview of what has happened in the last week. Our first episode covers more of the historical context between Palestine and Israel, so that was two weeks ago if you want to go back and listen. But right now I'm just going to run through some of the most breaking news that's happened in the last few days. So the Hamas-run health ministry in Gaza has said at least 5,087 Palestinians have been killed in Israeli strikes since the 7th of October. This includes 2,055 children, accounting for 40% of total deaths. 15,000 people have been injured and more than 1,400 people in Israel have been reportedly killed. A third convoy of aid trucks entered the Rafah crossing to Gaza from Egypt on Monday. On Saturday and Sunday, 34 trucks passed through. Um, They're carrying resources like food and medicine. And UN officials say about 100 trucks would be needed daily to meet the essential needs in Gaza. So we're looking at just like a massive disparity between what is needed and what is being received. But at least something's going through, whereas before nothing was able to get through. And so now Egypt is letting. Absolutely. And I've heard, so the the truck yesterday, the convoy was 17. 
19 trucks, I believe. So we're mm-hmm. looking at about the same number in each convoy so far. The number of confirmed hostages held by Hamas in Gaza after it captured them in southern Israel on the 7th of October has risen to 222. And also, I heard this morning, this only happened a couple of hours ago, two more hostages have been released yes. by Hamas. It was actually two elderly women um, that mm-hmm. were released. And there was uh, two Americans as yes, well. Yes, a few days ago. Mm-hmm. The leaders of the US, Canada, France, Germany, Italy and the UK have called for the hostages to be released. Australia has mirrored that call. US President Joe Biden has said that captives held by Hamas should be released before a ceasefire in Gaza can be discussed. So that's the US position currently. Last week, one of the key events was a massive explosion at a hospital in Gaza, which killed approximately 500 Palestinians. This triggered like global outrage. It was probably the biggest story last week. To attack a hospital. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's so unbearable to even think about but it's so important that we engage with this information like and and keep up to speed on what's happening because these were these were people who were taking shelter for nearly two weeks following this like relentless bombing i I also want to say like i don't have a conclusive answer on this but there has been many allegations from both sides as to who was at fault for that airstrike you know we just don't know we just don't know the united nations has also said the lives of at least 120 newborn babies in incubators in gaza's hospitals are currently at risk as fuel runs out in in this Palestinian territory. And Israeli air raids in Gaza have killed at least 266 Palestinians in just the last 24 hours. Um, So what we're looking at right now, which is sort of the broader context of this as well, is a possible Israeli ground invasion in northern Gaza. So currently, like hundreds of thousands of people are being evacuated to the south, but there's obviously bombs being and explosions occurring there too. So everywhere is a danger right now. But this is a really potential escalation point into a more broader conflict. If they actually send troops on ground. Absolutely. And so we're seeing violence right now on Israel's border with Syria and Lebanon already. Mm. And the Iranian foreign minister has also been in communication with Gaza since the war began. And the US has then gone and warned Iran, like, don't escalate this further. But, you know, to that I say also the US is engaging in the exact behaviour with Israel. So it's like you can't be claiming one country shouldn't be escalating when you're also engaging in the fueling of war, you know. I also know that we discussed Prime Minister's response last week, the Australian Prime Minister's response last week, and I also want to talk about Adam Bant, the leader of the Greens, who has come out and described Israel as moving beyond self-defence and into an invasion. Many people are describing it as a genocide or an ethnic cleansing. There's a lot of language being thrown around, and it can be really hard to distinguish and describe what this is in in practical and factual terms. Adam Bant said, Gaza is half the size of Canberra. Israel's air force has boasted dropping 6,000 bombs in six days in one of the most densely populated areas in the world. Over 2 million people live there. Nearly half of them are children. No atrocity justifies another. Yeah. I was also reading an opinion piece published by Crikey a few days ago, which the the writer is talking in a really sophisticated way about the manipulation of reality and the sort of like moral blindness of Anthony Albanese. And it's, it's an opinion piece by Maeve McGregor, and it's about the ability of politicians to mislead us through the sort of erasure of context, of historical context. Yeah, It's quite high level and it's really hard to sort of relay in, in simple terms. So I'd recommend everyone go and have a read of it. But basically the quote she used is that she says, consider, for instance, the Prime Minister's recent statement that Hamas's deadly and bloody assault wasn't merely an attack on Israel, but an attack on Jewish people. And she basically is talking about this ability for Western politicians in the Western media to immerse people in the idea for a really long time that this is about a genocidal attack on the Jewish faith 
instead of what it actually is, which is Mm. an attack on Israel and its policies. And she's basically saying, like, when we engage with that sort of messaging and language for long enough, it becomes truth. Yeah. And reality is obscured. Yeah. And And I think it's, I think that's where it gets dangerous. I think that's why this story is so complicated because you can't say something without giving the full context. Yeah. You can't just talk about religion and not give the context of history of the land and culture or who's currently in charge. There's so much to it that it all doesn't make sense without the other. And so for leaders and for media organisations to narrow down on just one aspect doesn't give the full story justice. Absolutely. And we're also seeing this deep mistrust between the traditional media sources we're used to engaging with. Mm. So when people are engaging more heavily with citizen civilian journalists who are on the ground sending voice notes, sending pictures, uploading them to social media, instead of, you know, when we can't trust the major media outlets, which, you know, I would say a lot of people have questionable beliefs in any way, but it's really hard to know what you're engaging with online when you're getting it firsthand in that way. But I would say to people, like, it's important to keep looking. It's important to keep engaging. But I understand the complexities around, you know, this new wave of, of journalism, which is coming from the ground. Yeah. Thank you for making it to the Q&A section again this week. We actually had so many questions come through. So we're actually going to do three questions three. quite quickly, but we are going to do them. We're going to power through. Right, the first one, Sarah, it's aimed at you, but I'm going to read verbatim because it's so <laughs> funny. This, So this is one of our listeners has sent in, what the hell is a dupe? Spelt J-U-P-E, question mark, dupe, D-U-P-E, question mark, D-J-U-P-E, question mark. I'm too old for that story. <laughs> That's I the question. I laughed so hard. Like, So this was off the back of the Matilda Jerf story. Matilda Jerf. The dupe story. And yeah, I think I was really confident going into that, that absolutely everyone knew who Matilda Jerf is. But Uh, I do, I will admit, I was wrong. Sorry. Did everyone hear that? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Sarah's not that person. I would argue, though, that maybe I should have put, you know what, maybe you're forgiven if you didn't know and you're, like, not 18. (laughs) Maybe I'm just not stylish. Maybe, hey. No, look at that. Let's not. Hey, look at us. Um, But what is a dupe? A dupe is when you find a copy or, like, something similar to something else. Um, Generally, it's known if you're, like, finding something that's more affordable or, like, a different version. So if you say you love a designer top and then, like, glass uns, brings something out that's the same vibe but a lot cheaper you'd yeah. say dupe it's a dupe it's like and think of it like as being deceived or tricked so if you're if someone was duped it means they were yeah. like they were tricked they were there was deception involved so it involves like <laughs> deception no I, I love it let's go to the core of it let's go beyond just the Kmart rip off because it's essentially a rip off it's basically. deception it's Kmart it's, deception it's Kmart it's K-Mizzle deception <laughs> uh, another question we had thoughts on social media algorithms impact on democratic processes is a neutral voter being skewed to side with the most comments and clicks. Yeah, I think so. I think think so too. I think that someone who is, I don't think it's someone who's engaged and I think that anyone who has high media literacy and like is really an engaged critical thinker wouldn't be sort of the subject of of this sort of trickery or Mm. like this like algorithm funnel that we exist in, right? But I think that if you're someone who doesn't really pay attention and you were the sort of person that would turn up and decide on the day, then yeah, I would say that, you know, I think the voice is the perfect example. I think if you exist primarily on Facebook, you would have been funneled into a no vote. I think that if you exist on Instagram, you would have been influenced to vote yes. Oh, you're being fed information every single day from various accounts based on what your algorithm is that are all going to be pushing the same message. And it's crazy because there's so much 
of either side yeah. that you think everyone thinks that. And it takes a minute for you to be like, oh, someone's algorithm's probably serving them the opposite of this. Exactly. And I just think the thing to come back to is, okay, if you're on TikTok and you're someone who's just mindlessly scrolling, how often do you then go and tell your friends a story about something you learned on TikTok, but reference like, <laughs> I'm always, I used to do like the, I was reading this article the other day. No, I was listening to someone on TikTok talk about this yeah. theory that has no balance of substance. Think of the last time you learned something on TikTok. Did you Google if it was accurate? Because if you if you didn't, that's how easily you can be influenced by your algorithm into believing something that you don't double check. Yeah. The third question we have, generally curious, how long does it take to research and record every week? Now, I was thinking about this one this morning because I saw it. I was really interested by the question, but I often think it's like, we don't understand how much time it takes because we're so up on the news and current affairs all week. Yeah. So, like, if I was actually thinking about my prep time compared to how often I'm thinking about the podcast, thinking about yeah, potential stories. Yeah, that's point. Because also, I think something about it is often on a Friday, I'll be like, these are the three stories. And then by Monday, they've completely changed. Yeah. And so, while I will have put a lot of time into engaging with a particular set of stories, knowing I'm going to sort of, like, have two on the back burner as well. So I, I think that like the actual amount of time it takes us to be across this, to research, and then we spend all of Tuesday doing podcast work. Yeah. But I spend at least five to eight hours each week researching and writing my news stories. Yeah. But then on a, like, on a week, of, you know, when the war broke in between Israel and Hamas, I would have said I would have spent 20 hours that week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, re- it depends on the news. It depends how well you already know the story. And I think because... We are checking and engaging in media every day anyway because of our jobs. We are just saving and banking stuff subconsciously throughout the week as well. And then for the record, we record for about an hour and a half and then I chop, edit away and then it's with you. And it's just something that's constantly we're aware of, I think. So it's, it's probably not easily measured and it depends on the week. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening again this week. If you're a new listener, please tap the bell, follow, five stars. I think we're on 4.9 right now and it's Damn pissing it. me off. No, no, it's okay. Perfectionist trait. It's okay. 4.9 is pretty good. But thank you to everyone for listening. And please send us any questions you have through our Instagram. That's bigsmalltalk underscore pod. And we'll see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.